Belmont Park is back again this weekend with more great thoroughbred action. We have races like the Grade 3 Noble Damsel and the BC winning your in Grade 2 Vosburgh. If you want to get involved, why not sign up for Naira Bets? Either using the Naira Bets app or going to NairaBets.com. Use the promo code Rewind, R-E-W-I-N-D, to get a, at least a $200 match deposit bonus. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome to episode 54 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is Jude Feld of HRN, and we go over three races from last Saturday's card. It was the Rico Woodbine Mile Day at Woodbine, and the races we go over are races 1, 5, and 9. And some angles we cover are when you have three equal favorites, let the tote board be your guide, and who to pick to win, the fastest five furlong, Workout time can be a real sneaky angle when it comes to the two-year-old races. And we finally unlocked the key to how to pick contenders to win star allowance races. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest this week, Jude Feld of HRN. Jude, how are you today? Great. Absolutely fantastic. Good to hear that. Uh, for everyone who wonders why Jude is on this week, uh, we did a stable duel beat the host a couple weeks ago, and he was one of two people out of my dismal day there. I think I finished 80th out of 81st. Uh, he was one of two people to uh, get the free roll so uh, and get a chance to be on the show, so we're glad to have you. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, I enjoyed playing Stable Duel, and sorry you didn't do uh, better, but what the heck. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this week we're going to be covering races from Saturday at Woodbine. How was your overall weekend, and what were your thoughts going into the card? Um, you know, the, the, the card was good. It wasn't one of the best Woodbine cards I'd ever seen. There were lots of maidens, and um, the, the stakes were we're good. Maybe, maybe not the best, maybe a little disappointing all in all, but, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, it was something to do it was good entertainment on Saturday. Now you said there was a lot of maiden races. Are you not the biggest maiden player? Are you more of the stake allowance type player? Cause for me, I do love the, uh, I do love betting the maiden races. Yeah. I, I like maiden races. I especially like the grass races for maidens. I'm a, I'm a grass guy. I, I love grass racing. So for me, um, you know, the the, uh, the grass racing at Woodbine is excellent. And I love the fact that they have the grass course on the outside of the main track. <laughs> I think all tracks should have it that way. I had Ashley Mayu on last week, and she said the same thing. One of the best things about Woodbine is how they have the turf course on the outside. With, with it being one of the bigger Woodbine days, seeing certain horses shipping in, you know, we had a couple of Chad Browns coming in as well. Do you still look for the big time trainers coming, you know, from the states up up north, or do you mostly focus on the type of connections that are there year in year out? Um, I don't pay that much attention to it. I mean, I was a trainer for twenty years, and uh, you know, I know everybody that's on the backside. Uh, it, it's a commitment. You're working seven days a week, three hundred sixty-five days a year. You're getting up early. You're doing your job. If uh, you know what you're doing, you're doing the best you can. And so I, I don't really worry about, you know, United States trainers being better than Canadian trainers or vice versa. Uh, there's great trainers in in both countries. So uh, I, I consider them pretty equal, actually. We had uh, talked previously through text. Uh, you said that you were a guy who has a lot of angles that can beat a lot of the you know, buyer speed figure guys who just see a top figure of a 90, everyone else is running a 70. So obviously this horse must win, but you kind of have the, uh, the old school approach before we had the buyer speed figures care to tell me some of those angles for the, uh, for the public or a couple of those going to stay in the, uh, in the trusty toolbox. <laughs> well, the, I'm probably going to do a book, uh, about some of the angles that I use and some of the people that have taught them to me, because I think it's, 
uh, an interesting way to, to look at handicapping. Uh, but I use speed figures as well. I think you got to use everything and every little tool that you can can make a difference. Um, I, you know, like to watch races and be visual. And I, I also like to look at different training, trainer angles and that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, speed figure advantages and, and pace make a big difference. So I use pretty much everything. Um, you know, as far as like angles for the weekend, um, the, the fifth race was kind of interesting to me. It was a, a sprint race on the grass for maiden two-year-old fillies. And this, this one angle that, that I particularly like is, uh, the fastest five furlong workout. Um, it, it works great in baby races and, and, you know, like three-year-old maiden races earlier in the year and, um, bodacious, miss was a, a horse coming in that had a 101 and three breezing from the gate which was the best five eights that any horse had uh had worked so um she was a, a filly that i kind of paid attention to um but you know there, there's lots of different things you can look at uh different types of improvement and uh you know little things that you don't really ever think about um you know i i uh i like horses off of big wins that that uh, earn high speed figures they're kind of short priced type of horses um uh, but but then there's there's other angles you can use like uh horses that are going up in class off of a bad race and they're 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 actually bet that was an angle that John Forsyth uh, taught me. He used to he used to use that quite a bit, um, and have some ridiculous prices in the old days. You know, when when a horse would would run a bad race and the trainer would up it in class and and it, it's still getting you know bet on the board like eight, nine, ten to one. You wonder why? I mean, why is this horse getting bet? And uh, he used to point those out to me, and they were great. So there's all those little things, starter horses in, in starter races, horses that run well in starter races, always come back and run well in starter races. And, and even when horses look flashier on the page that uh, they haven't run in that many claiming races or starter races, they don't run as well as the starter horses. So you have to be pretty good to win a starter race. So. There's uh, lots of little things like that that you can look at that maybe puts you on a horse that's going to make a difference when you're playing a contest or a stable duel or even when you're just betting, when you can you can find a, a difference maker on the day. It, it makes a big difference. A great thing with the workouts, I loved how you talked about the fastest 5 eighth. Uh, everyone, I read in a lot of old school handicapping books, a lot of horses can go three furlongs fast. It's finding those furses that can do the fast five and four furlong works that really separate themselves as being contenders. Because I can't tell you how many times going through races you'll see, oh, this horse went 36 flat, 35 and three or whatever. And then they don't maybe have good four or five furlong works while the other horse maybe was just steadily increasing, a couple decent fours, and then like a really solid minute flat bullet and everyone just kind of thinks like, oh, this horse might do better longer. And yet here comes this horse running down that 35 and three uh, speed horse and just can hold on stamina wise more thoughts on just longer workouts in general. Yeah. You know, you, you know, people wonder why Bob Baffert wins so many races. And, and uh, the reason is because he is a little uh, old school in his workouts. I mean, you see a lot of guys, Chad Brown, Todd Pletcher, they get horses ready with uh, a lot of half-mile works. And, and their horses run great, but uh, when it comes to the big races and uh, horses coming off layoffs and that kind of thing, you got to have some stamina-building workouts in their form, I think. And, and uh, I like the five-eighths, the three-quarters, the seven-eighths. I mean, that's training in California is so much different than training on the east coast mm -hmm. people train a lot lighter on the east coast than they they do in california i mean you, you watch guys like richard mandela and 
that, I mean, their horses, they worked seven eighths before they even, you know, run three quarters. So yeah. it, it's a, it's a different mindset. You were also talking about the starter race. The starter races for me are one of the, my favorite races to handicap as well, because I don't think people understand exactly the types of horses that like become contenders and that can win them. For me, my uh, rule of thumb is find a horse. Let's say it's a twenty-five thousand starter. I'm looking for horses that have done well, maybe for thirty or forty, or maybe even broke the maiden for twenty-five. Compared to, you'll see the horse jump up from a ten k maiden claimer at Parks to run at the twenty-five uh, starter, and they just get their doors blown off time and time again, even with a good buyer out of that maiden race. Yeah, you you really have to pay attention to the quality of horses because. Usually the starter races are won by horses that have some back class, you know, like maybe, maybe they, in football terms, maybe they were a high draft pick, but they mm-hmm. might've had an injury or something that kind of held them back. And, and then all of a sudden that, that back class shows and, and they, they get really good at a certain starter level of 7,500 or 10,000 or 25, whatever it is. And, and uh, they they can go on little streaks and really make a nice career out of it. Um, when I was a kid, they used to have a starter series at San Anita where um, the races were long on the turf, and you, you kind of got your favorites. You knew they were going to run, you know, every couple Saturdays or whatever. And that was in the days when people used to run their horses all the time. So. That you you go out because Mambo Jambo was running again this week. And, <laughs> you know he he was he was buying your girlfriend lots of dinners. You know over the course of the season. So it's just just uh, a, a different way of doing things. And and I find some of the old school ways still work today. You know even though everybody's you know giving horses you know six weeks between starts and I always laugh at these guys that think they can run into grade one off of a four month layoff or whatever and <laughs> yeah. tell everybody, Oh, this horse is doing so good. You know, I mean, I, and it just like pops into my head. Well, you know, you're not Charlie Whittingham. So, um, I really don't see how you can be <laughs> so obnoxious to think that you're possibly going to have this horse ready to run a mile in a day you know, off of a four-month rest, um, you know, it it, it just kind of cracks me up. So, but that that's what it comes with being an old man. You know, <laughs> you have that back experience to to look at. You know? Well, I think too, when you look back at the old days, horses like you said were running every couple of weeks. I feel like for the longest time in the, in the New York Stakes series, it was if, if you saw Lubash, it was King Creesa, and it was like the same four horses that ran against each other for six years straight. And now you see so much stuff going on with the stallions and just there's so much more money to be made. Because, I, I mean, I, and we'll talk about it later with the Woodbine Mile, but seeing a horse like Starship Jubilee still running at seven, to me, I feel like to a lot of people's mind-blowing. Like, how is this horse, like, you know, not becoming a broodmare already? I, I just, sometimes I think that, you know, obviously uh, we just had the one horse on the Triple Crown Trail on our AP uh, be, due to an injury go to the shed, and it just... I wish that horses would just run a little bit longer, and I understand the money's there, but, I mean, everyone talks about how Secretariat was the greatest horse of all time. Well, some people also don't realize the horse also ran on grass in his four-year-old season. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a tremendous grass horse. He was just a, he was a great horse all the way around, but people didn't, like, hot house their horses like they do now. I mean, uh, part of it's the sheets, I think, the, you know, the sheet theory of, horses bouncing and stuff needing lots of time to recover. And I, I laugh at that too, because somebody will run a horse back in eight days or whatever. And, and people freak out, Oh, the guy's abusive. And you know, that all that, and, and then the horse wins and what it's crickets after that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, horses can run back in six days. I always talk about my, my kid's mom who used to run seven miles every day on the cement you know, she'd be she'd be running down the street, and I'd have friends of mine say, you know, I was I was uh, you know driving the other day, and your wife actually passed me as I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> and she did this every day for like 19 straight years, you know. So I, I don't want to hear that you know horse can't run back in 
six or seven days uh, because they had too hard of a race. I mean, it just just cracks me up the way that people think and they, they firmly believe it, you know? Um, It's just, just one of those things that, that people have in their head. and It's not necessarily true, but it's uh, kind of an urban legend. I guess. I'm one that tends to also agree in the bounce theory, but not so much that I think the horse needs, four months off, but I mean, even a month and a half, something like that, if you've seen a horse, you know, run two good races and then the third race isn't that good and you brought him back in 27 days, maybe give the horse a little bit more time. You you bring up the sheets and how everyone says, you know, it's just the sheets that matter because everyone says the horse will bounce. So why do you think it has just been such a long time, though? I mean, four months seems so much longer than, like I said, even like the month and a half. Like, people just tend to, I think, also want to make sure that they don't run their horse too much and, and risk an injury if they have a good horse that's, you know, grade two, grade one capable. Well, my my theory is the, the more you train the horse, the better chance you have of injuring it. Mm-hmm. Horses don't really get hurt racing. They get hurt by the constant galloping every day, every day, training, training, training. And I think that's way worse than a horse than than running. When you when you're running your horses on a regular basis, you don't have to do a lot with them in between time. Yeah, you know you can you can you walk them three days, you jog them a couple days, maybe you pony them. I mean, these are things that that I learned, you know, hanging around Bobby Frankel's barn for a lot of my early life on the racetrack, and and you know he didn't train horses very hard at all. I mean, just super super light and he used to run his horses you know if they were ready to run he'd run them he, he wasn't <laughs> i can't use the language on the podcast <laughs> what he would tell me about the sheets but <laughs> it, it wasn't very complimentary and sometimes if, if the sheets liked his horse then he was complimentary of the sheets but if, <laughs> if the sheets disagreed with with him on his horse he, he would be the other way and and you know i i, I mean you you meet to me the more you train a horse, the better chance you have of them getting hurt. So I don't buy into the theory that, you know, by, by giving a horse four months off, you're taking care of them. I think it's the exact opposite. Well, let's jump into our first couple of races. Then the first race we decided to talk about was the opener from Saturday at Woodbine. It was a 123,000 maiden special week going one six, one sixteen miles on the inner turf. What do you say about that big price for the maiden special week? I feel like we're at Kentucky Downs right now with these types of prices. Yeah, well, you know the the, uh, the the race really to me came down to to three horses, um, and my I use I, I have my own turf figures that I use, and, and my top three figures were uh, Flame Zapper, um, Malibu Edge, and English Conqueror. Actually, English Conqueror and Malibu Edge had the exact same turf figure, so. They, they were the three horses to me that, that uh, you know, were on top of the race. And then the horse on the rail, awesome walk and roll, um, had never run on the grass, just uh, synthetic. So that was a horse, you know, kind of a question mark out of an El Prado mare bred to run on the turf, and you, did, you didn't know. But there, he was four years old. Flame Zapper was four years old. I find, like, this time of year – September, it's already getting late in the year. If you're a four-year-old maiden, you're probably not that great. Mm-hmm. I, I would always give the edge to the to the three-year-olds at, at this time of year. So I was more interested in in uh, English Conqueror and uh, Malibu Edge as, as the top two contenders in the race. Let's talk a bit, a little bit about pedigree. Uh, for me, I use the Tomlinsons quite a bit, obviously, for awesome walk and roll, a 298, not the highest. I also try to look at the sire. I like to see at least 14 15% winning percentage for the surface, and then at least maybe one, two winners out of the family if they have, just to kind of show that they have a propensity for the surface. What kind of stuff are you looking through when you're looking through the family or the sire stats or the mare as well? Well, I, I like... Uh... I like certain turf sires. Be, being a turf guy, I don't really look at Tomlinson's or that. I just kind of go by the the pedigree and and uh, you know w- w- what I think about the pedigree if it suits. Um, I, I like to see more 
uh, races, though, on the uh, on the paper. Because, you, you know, sometimes you have those horses that are bred to run on the grass and you don't really like it, and vice versa. You know, you, you get your, your uh, you know, horses that, that look like they're going to be dirt horses and they, they're not running any good, and then mm-hmm. they all of a sudden put them on the grass and they turn into stars. So uh, I, I don't know how much is involved with that. You know, you listen to the the girls in the paddock talking about turf feet and all that stuff and the, the way the horse looks. And, you know, turf horses, a lot of times, if you go to the paddock on a regular basis, which is something that I do all the time, um, and you look at a lot of turf horses, they're, they're amongst the ugliest looking horses on earth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of them have kind of, you know, put together bodies and stuff and, and, and they, they're millionaires, you know. They, once, once in a while, several times, you, you see a beautiful turf horse like Michawish comes to mind. I mean, he was so tremendously handsome, and and uh, but but for the most part, it, it's a, it's a different kind of racing. And uh, I I like my turf figures, and I I like uh, I, I like to see horses that have run on the grass before. For me, the the race kind of came down to the same three contenders you were talking about, that being Flame Zapper, Malibu Edge, and English Conqueror. I, I just, not there were negatives, but Malibu Edge, three of the last four were in the 70s for the buyer. So to me, I don't know if the horse is going to get much better now having eight starts. He's kind of getting out of that lightly raced edge and becoming just a normal, you know, possibly career maiden. Same thing with Flame Zapper with six races. The last three were very solid, but they were kind of the same race with zero improvement. And then you have a horse like English Conqueror, who now takes a big jump up in the second start to the third start. And I thought I couldn't believe the price difference between the three, and that really kind of swayed me to English Conqueror when you look at the board like that. Well, I think that's one of the most important things when you're handicapping. And, and uh, you know, when I do my Pope Jude sheets, I, I explain that to people. You know, these are the horses that I think have a chance in this race. And, and you got to look at the toe board. you got to see where where the value is, you know, a horse isn't valued just because they got a big price. I mean, if you think that horse has an equal chance with the rest of them and you're, you're going to get a, a, a better number, why wouldn't you take the, the better price, you know? And, um, yeah, English conqueror by English channel certainly, you know, has the pedigree, had two good, um, turf races his debut he finished mm-hmm. third going seven eights and then his last start he finished fourth got beat two and a quarter was getting what i thought was an impressive jockey switch to emma jane wilson who's been on fire uh lately at uh, woodbine so i mean all in all there were some things to like about him what did you uh if you did end up wagering what would you have done from a wagering perspective in the race well, I did. I did not bet this race. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I probably would have would have uh, gone with English Conqueror on account of the price, but I, I came to the same conclusions that you did. Malibu Edge, you know, Suge had him for quite a while, didn't win with him, so that's that's a red flag to me. Um, even though he'd run good in his last start for Rachel Halden, I uh, I didn't think that was that was enough to you know, fall in love with him and flame zapper. He just seems like the kind of horse that runs around the track and he's probably better than most, but he, he might need a drop in class to really come through. But, um, yeah, it, it wasn't a race that I had a real strong opinion of. And so I just let it go. For me, uh, we started our third season of the Daily Gallup Head-to-Head Handicapping League. Some people, uh, Denonymous Racing is in there, uh, Todd Shrupp from TVG. Uh, I ended up picking the number three English Conqueror just based on price. And I, it is a pick and price, so we don't get to go as live race by race. But I just seeing the first race before I got my picks in, the way the board was going, and I thought, okay, I'll put this horse on top and hope I can get lucky. Let's see who wins this first race from Woodbine right now. They're off. 
and uh, in the centre, awkwardly out a bit was Flame Zapper. The rest began as one, and Sensationalist is out in front as they go. Away nicely, English Conqueror on the outside, Malibu Edge, and the pace is certainly quite measured over on the inside. Awesome Walk and Roll has got back behind Flame Zapper, who's improved with Wave Baby, and last is Phantom Dance at the wire. Not exerted at all is Sensationalist by a length to Malibu Edge, and over on the inside is English Conqueror. They take the turn as the top trio. Wave Baby goes around the outside to fourth, and at a length away came Flame Zapper, Awesome Walk and Roll on the inside, and three away last is Phantom Dance. Sensationalist controlling the race so far. Leads up the back stretch a length and a half to in second Malibu Edge, a length to English Conqueror. Wave Baby is in fourth. A length away came Awesome Walk and Roll on the inside of Flame Zapper, and two and a half to Phantom Dance. As they head towards the half mile and still out with the nice lead remains Sensationalist. They took a slow half, 50 and 1. In second is Malibu Edge. English Conqueror tucks in nicely third. Wave Baby fourth. And then sharing next spot a Flame Zapper coming around the outside now with Awesome Walk and Roll second last. And last is Phantom Dance. They bunch and Sensationalist in front. And now they're getting antsy to go after this leader. Coming up on the outside is Malibu Edge to go to the front and up the rails. Coming right through a wave baby and English Conqueror as they sprint. And now as they turn at the quarter, three abreast. And on the outside, Malibu Edge, the center wave baby. English Conqueror, the rail. The momentum's there with the three of them and they're pretty tight. In the center, Wave Baby on the outside, Malibu Edge, and battling on English Conqueror, Phantom Dance is really rocketing down the outside after all of them. Phantom Dance is coming over the top of them on the outside, but it's ex on the rails, English Conqueror, as they go to the wire, and flying is Phantom Dance. English Conqueror in a photo with Phantom Dance, and a great thrilling finish in a four-way battle with Malibu Edge, and in the center, Wave Baby. And the number three, English Conqueror, gets it done paying $17 with a 73 buyer thoughts after the race dude yeah 73 buyers uh, uh, a little low i got it i don't i i use brisnet so <laughs> uh, but uh that that seems like uh, maybe a little less than the average maiden race i don't know I, um but uh certainly a good performance and a, a very nice price absolutely figured if if you were playing a stable dual contest or whatever that's the kind of horse that you you like to have it separates you from the rest of the pack. I feel like this is the type of race that's very confusing after the fact for a lot of handicappers where they can't separate the five, the six, or the three. So maybe they'll play all three in an exacta. Well, you bricked. Or they'll play, you know, two in a Dutch win bet, which hopefully you didn't pick the two favorites, which would be the wrong side of doing Dutch wagering and all that. And I just feel that. In a race like this, the people who don't understand tote board and don't understand the odds so much yet, and are just like the fledgling handicappers who are just handicapping, this is the type of race where the board makes your decision for you if you come up with those three horses. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny because, you know, people say, oh, who's your best bet of the day? Mm -hmm. Well, you may not really know who that is <laughs> until, you know, five minutes before the race. I mean... Uh, you know, and the fact that you love a horse doesn't mean anything. It means zilch. It's just your opinion, and it, it, it doesn't mean that horse is a good bet or that it's even going to win. You know, we all fall in love with horses. We think we're smart. We think we're, we've got the answer to this particular race, and we don't. Um, you know, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, but a lot of times we don't. And so the fact that you love a horse or, or you think it's your best bet of the day or whatever, you can't really tell that until, you know, prior to post time. I mean, sometimes betting a four to five shot is a great bet. And sometimes, you know, it's a lousy bet. So you just have to be careful. One horse we didn't talk about in the pre talk of the race was the number two phantom dance for Gal Cox, Luis Contreras. This horse just kind of seemed to have the same feel as, Malibu Edge, where this instead this one is Grand Motion instead of being Shug, and Gale had this horse for a couple starts and just seemed to just be on the same uh, route pretty much. Uh, blinkers go on for this. Something that I have I used to think Blinkers on was a great angle was oh they're going to improve the horse and now after reading a couple more books specifically Barry Meadows' new book, I'm starting to think that Blinkers on is a negative because they're trying to fix a problem whereas when the blinkers come off the problem should be fixed. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, six of one, half dozen of the other. <laughs> right. I mean, I, you know, blinker, blinkers on can be good. Uh, second time blinkers might be better. 
first time you run a horse in blinkers, sometimes they, they don't know how to react and they're kind of looking around them. And it might take them a race or two races even to really get the benefits of it. Everything's not cut and dried like people think. You know, it's, it, it's a trial and error process. And um, guys like Alan Jerkins were so good at tinkering with horses and equipment and all that stuff. And, you, you know, you, you just have to kind of take it on a horse by horse basis. I mean, you can't bet all the horses with blinkers on and blinkers off. I agree with you is maybe a little bit better betting angle. People don't pay nearly as much attention to blinkers off as they should. Um, because a lot of times a horse that's been wearing blinkers their whole life and the the trainer takes them off and all of a sudden the horse can see the whole world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all, it's almost like they've, had blindness cured or something. It's a whole different <laughs> perspective for the horse and, and it really can wake them up. Um, you know, I, I try to explain to people in the old days, a lot of trainers used to use turf racing as a, a freshening for a horse. They take a dirt horse and run him on the grass one time because the horse thought he was turned out in the field with all the other horses. Right. Oh, it gave, gave him this like rejuvenated effect. And people look at me like I, you know, came off of Mars or something. <laughs> Where the hell did this guy come from? You know, but that that's true. Turf racing used to be kind of a joke in the United States. It was like for horses that were slow and horses that might become jumpers soon, you know. And 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 nowadays it's big money and you know, Chad Brown dominates cuz he buys the best euros and uh, I mean, but it's uh you know, it, it it can really freshen a horse up to run them on the grass sometimes, and and uh, people don't think about that. There's another angle for it, but people don't think about that when they handicap. You know, horse ran on the grass last time. Maybe he's gonna, you know, be be a happier horse this week. Well, I I think too, like just with any type of angle, sometimes people will just be like, you know. Oh, it's going from Chad Brown to whatever 10% trainer on the Naira circuit. It's on obvious downgrade. Well, if Chad got switched because they realized the horse wasn't a turf horse, now he's on the dirt for the first time, well, maybe the horse will actually be on the right surface once and the trainer didn't matter to begin with. Right, right. No, it's it's true. I mean, you know, everybody doesn't have the answer with every horse. I mean, even the great trainers have horses that stump them. I mean, they, they, they make liars out of you, you know, and you can think you've done a great job with a horse and they, you run them and you found out you really didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes the reverse is true. I mean, sometimes you have a horse that's like slow in the morning. You don't think anything uh, of the horse and you, you run the horse and the horse runs great. And you go, where the hell did that come from? You know? So it, it's uh, it, it's fascinating. It really is. Let's move ahead to our next race on the card. That race being the fifth from Woodbine. It was another maiden special weight with a high price tag. This time, five furlongs on the turf. You hear a lot of people struggle with the uh, with the turf sprints. What about you being the turf guy? Do you like obviously you like them? Do you like going long or going short more? Oh, I like going long more. Turf sprints to me are kind of like a roulette wheel a lot of times. <laughs> okay. um, you know, you, you never know who's going to break slow, who's who's going to get the trip. I mean, there's a lot a lot of trouble in turf sprints. Uh, not my favorite races, but they've uh, afforded me some massive prices over the years. Um, I, I I certainly like the payoffs sometimes, but. Um, by and large, I, I like two-turn turf races. That's uh, my bread and butter. Oh, and in case anyone didn't know, this is also a two-year-old race, so add the two-year-old factor into it as well. You had talked about the five furlong, uh, fastest five furlong work. What else do you kind of look for now when we're talking about the juveniles as well on the turf? Well, I always look at the, the pedigrees of the babies, um, you know, do a lot of, shortlisting for people at the yearling sales and stuff. And I try to have in my mind, you know, pedigrees that I like. Um, and then I have my favorites, you know, horses that have uh, been good, good sires for me over the years. Like there was a Miz and Mast filly in here. I've cashed a couple of nifty bets on Miz mm-hmm. and Mast. Um, they're especially good at Kentucky Downs. Um, 
kind of a sneaky thing. Sometimes I'll just bet on the Miz and Mask because they're running the Kentucky Downs. <laughs> hey, listen, the way my father used to bet them was him and the guys at the OTB, they'd put uh, 10 cent supers together and they just hit the random button six times and they'd figure out if they won or not. That's literally how they used to do it at the old <laughs> OTB when I was watching. So, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you, you, you go with what, uh, what's been good for you in the past. I always laugh when, uh, on my TVG account, they they post you know some horse that's running that day that you made a score with before, and it always cracks me up. Oh, that's like, very funny. What does that have to do with me? Am yeah. I going to rush to the window and bet on this horse? And I don't even know where he's been the last two years. <laughs> I, you, you cashed a fifty thousand pick. You cashed a fifty thousand pick five on his maiden breaker. By the way, he's in a grade one today, and he hasn't won since the maiden win. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Time to get in line. Yeah. So. So we talked. Um, yeah, the, you know the 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 pedigrees in here. Most of the horses are, are you know okay on the grass. Some of them they're you wouldn't necessarily expect them to improve. And a lot of times trainers have to run horses to get them ready for another race. Uh, maybe these horses are scheduled to go a farther distance, but they want to give them a little little outing. So all those things you have to pay attention to and in turf sprints when you see a horse and not to like but the number five victoriaville 20 to one oxbow being the sire do you kind of just feel like this is the prep and they're going to get the horse you know either on the synthetic or possibly on the dirt next time out and we'll see a like what could be and hopefully would have been a much better performance yeah i absolutely i mean you know you see oxbow you see patientville you're not really you know loving the grass necessarily you also see the horse with a forty five hundred dollar Keelan mm-hmm. November purchase and so that's not, you know, getting you too excited. Um you got a Shackleford in there. I mean uh, some of these horses, you know, you don't expect them to be uh great on the turf. Exaggerators got one and Exaggerators turned out to have a couple of horses that actually like the grass. Mm-hmm. He, being by Curlin, but if it started to rain, they took this race off the turf. He's a horse you might be super interested in. The uh, the horse I ended up on just kind of, and this this is the kind of race where for me, I got I call it lazy handicapping. I just saw Hernandez and Cassie on the way outside with the favorite. I saw the nice forty seven flat out of the gate, and I just said, well, if the horse isn't ready to go today, he's probably not going to improve all that much second time out. And I just the the hard part for me was the outside post. When you see a lot of horses in these two-year-old races, I would tend to think you'd probably want to be either more in the middle of the pack or closer to the rail. Well, I'm I'm kind of uh, partial to the outside posts. Um, okay. On the grass, it, it, it's a little bit different because uh, you don't want to be hung out wide, that's mm-hmm. for sure. But a horse like this that, that looks like it's pretty quick, I wouldn't let that keep me from betting uh, on her if I really liked her. Um, I just try to stay away from the, the real short priced or, or, you know, fancy connections in in some of these shorter turf races, because they have the same equal chance of a bad trip, a bad break or, or, uh, you know, bad luck that any of the other trainers have. So, um, I always try to try to look for something. Um, with a little bit more price, but it doesn't always happen that way. You have to you have to take what they give you. Bodacious Miss took some money for you. Uh, what were your? Did you end up making a wager on this race, or was it kind of just too short, even at the five to two price? I did. I, I you know I've been a big talker on your show here, but uh, I actually had some friends come over and uh we played bochi ball down by the lake which is about a hundred yards from my house so mm-hmm. um i i made my bets early um and th- this was a race that that because bodacious miss had the best five furlong workout and i liked the bodie meister and military on the grass and um you know so i i did that i i thought i might get a little bit better price than i did but you know as they say in uh, the bookie shops of Las Vegas in yesteryear, this, <laughs> this one came back a little light, boy. <laughs> For me, and, but then I found out later that all the all the clockers, evidently up at at uh, 
Woodbiner all over this one. So, yeah. um, it, 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 it proved my theory was right, but, uh, but the price came back a little shorter than I would like. For me, it was all about the outside horse. Don't push your luck. Let's see who wins the fifth here at Woodbine right now. And they're off. Great start by Don't Push Your Luck and Big Ginger the Setter. They go out in front and Bodacious Miss going to third on the inside. Coming through is Rule the Sea. Victoriaville is next and right behind them Goatee Go and on the outside Joker's Run. Behind them Lady Petrol 40 Smooth and second last is She Takes Flight. And about five lengths away last early is Overstate. Three across the track and Bodacious Miss pokes through to the lead on the inside of Big Ginger. On their outer Don't Push Your Luck three wide and they go away by length and a half to Joker's Run winding up pretty well. On the inside Victoriaville and coming into it is Goaty Go as they come to the home stretch from Rule the Sea and now Lady Petrol winding up. It's Bodacious Miss looking professional at the turn. In second Big Ginger from Don't Push Your Luck and down the outside Joker's Run. The leader by a length and a half is Bodacious Miss. Joker's Run and Big Ginger chasing from Don't Push Your Luck but Bodacious Miss holding them well and Bodacious Miss by about two lengths down to the wire. Bodacious Miss is first. Second narrowly Joker's Run from Big Ginger. And the number three, Bodacious Miss, does win, getting it done with that nice work, paying seven forty, fifty-five buyer. This just seemed to me it's just it's going to be a weak race. The buyer par, I know you said you used Brisnet, but the buyer par was a sixty-eight. So when you have a race like this, and the the Brisnet par or whatever is way way higher, how do you then try to reference this race going forward, just as a weak race and don't play any of the horses out of it? Well, ordinarily I would say yes. But in this case, Bodacious Miss is trained by a guy named Steve Owens, and he doesn't win with a lot of first-time starters. He's only had, well, this would have been 16. He, he wins at a 7% clip. So he's kind of like the, the uh, you know guy that just doesn't train his horses super hard to get them ready first time out. So this Philly won pretty much on her own, you got to think, and maybe there's some improvement in her. I wouldn't go crazy like if they decide to run her in a, you know, grade three or whatever. I would avoid her like the plague. But, but I mean, I think if if she tries to go through her conditions and, you know, um, she could she could possibly improve off this race. But I agree with you. It wasn't the the strongest race I'd ever seen, despite the fact that there was you know the flashy Cassie and some other horses in here that looked like maybe they had some something on the ball. I uh, I think you bring up a great point there. How many times do we see a 5% first-time out trainer win? Everyone complains because it crashes them out of the pick five, but then they don't circle the, the horse or put the horse in the stable mail, and then it comes back in maybe not the hardest spot. Maybe it's you know an N2L claimer or whatever, and the horse then wins again, and it's still maybe not the 45 to 1 you missed on it, but maybe the horse is still 7, 8 to 1, which to me, anything over 10 bucks is a good price on a value horse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you can, you can uh, you know, make a few bucks if, you, if you're just patient and, you know, wait, wait for the horse and make sure that they put the horse in the right spot. I mean, a lot of times what happens is people, and I'm not blaming owners, but owners get so excited, right? Uh-huh. They win a race with their horse first time out. Oh my God, she's great! And you know they're they're not looking at those speed figures. They're not looking at the competition. They're just so happy that they want to race with this horse. And I totally get that. But then you don't need to jump your horse up to a, <laughs> yeah. a race where they have no chance. You know, it's it's like people that that win a race for maybe twelve five and they put them back in for twenty five because they're afraid to lose them. They should be putting them in for. 8,000 non-winners of two and hope somebody claims them. But, but that's a whole different mindset, you know. It's like the hardened horse player slash trainer slash whatever, you know, put them where they belong. And, and really, that, that's the whole key to the game is to run the horses where they fit, you know. Run them with their friends, not, not with horses they can't beat. And obviously, sometimes someone will get lucky and they will spring up and, you know, have an upset the number six, Big Ginger, I thought had a pretty decent debut for being a Shackelford. Yeah, well, you know, Shackelford, he was one of my favorite horses. I mean, that horse showed up every time. Mm-hmm. He was so cool, and he's been a pretty good sire. He hasn't gotten the best mares, uh, but, but you know, he he uh, he ran hard all the time, and 
Dale didn't take many prisoners with him. He had lots of fast works and stuff. And he was, he was a kind of a throwback kind of horse, kind of tough and, and, uh, really gnarly in his races. And I, I like him a lot. So there, there might be some, uh, improvement there. And, and, uh, maybe back on the dirt, you see that 35 and three bullet on the tab. So the, the Shackleford speed is there. He's got, she's got a 47 and three half mile. So, um, you, you got to imagine there's there's something there. Let's jump into the last race of this podcast, race number nine. How could we not talk about the grade one Rico Woodbine mile, one mile on the turf? I know you said you didn't think the races for the, from the stakes were that strong. I thought this was as strong as the Met Mile from this year and possibly even last year. Just so many different ways you could have gone in this race. Yeah, there were a lot of choices. I, I will give you that much. There, there were several ways you could you could look at the race <clears throat> for me um I, I was gonna fade war of will his best turf figure was 10 points below par uh-huh. uh, for this level and i just don't think he's good on the grass as he is on the dirt he's a pretty nice dirt horse and i know he's run well on the turf and all of that, but I was against them. I, I thought March to the Arch and Starship Jubilee were better horses uh, as far as my turf figures were concerned, and and I just didn't didn't think War of Will was the greatest bet in here. So this was a race that interested me quite a bit. It was funny. I handicapped this race on my lunch break at work the uh, the morning of, and I saw how good of a race it was. And I've just started, just for the past year, getting my fiance in, into horse racing. She likes to read the form. We'll do, you know, Monday Canterbury and have just a nice night watching some, you know, not the best racing, but just, you know, just having a nice Monday night. And I said, well, who do you like in this race? And she goes, well, I like I like one four four one. I said, so you want me to play an exacta? She goes, yes. I said, okay, I like the four as well. I'm going to play a win bet. And I said, what did you like so much about the one? And she just thought that this horse coming out of that last race, closing with the blue fractions of time form, just that this one might be uh, not an upset, obviously, with the 5-2 to two morning line, but just a very strong contender. I was with you. War of Will to me, not, maybe not better either surface. I think he's good on both surfaces, but just the price was just ungodly for this horse. I just could not believe that. Yeah. He was three to two for most of the betting. He flew up to just above two to one. I just could not understand against any other horse. I mean, we had a horse like Admiralty Pier who had, you know, scratched out of a grade three to run in a much tougher spot. I mean, that to me, I thought was worth some points on the line. And this horse also ended up going off at, you know, a higher odds as well. Yeah, I, I just, um, you know, the, the Maker's Mark Mile is a great race and some Magnificent horses have have won that race. I didn't think it was particularly strong this year. Of course, it was running at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, every everything's a little screwed up, so you can't really go too crazy. But uh, I mean, figure wise, it it wasn't close to what what you need to to win a Grade One at Keeneland. And I just thought it was a really weak race. So. Um, when, when I saw that, I, I kind of got excited and, and, um, the horse that I was most excited about was March to the Arch. I, I have to be on board with your fiance. I thought his last race was excellent and, um, he got a great figure and, and, uh, you know, he's a, he's a gelding. So, you know, he's probably going to fire back and he had Patrick husbands on who I think is a a great writer and him and Cassie have a great rapport. So, I mean, there, there, there were lots of things to like about him. Uh, I thought his price was maybe a little lighter than it should be, but I thought he was really a standout over war of will. So that's what I was looking at. What, because I know you said you also like starship Jubilee as your second choice. What made you, uh, what was the split that led you to March the arch over starship? Cause I know for me, not that I had liked March of the Arch. I thought Starship Jubilee for me was just an absolute standout from top to bottom. Uh, what made you uh, pick one or the other? Well, I just, I really was impressed with March to the Arch's last race. And uh, Starship Jubilee, she's she's magnificent. I mean, you, you can't say enough nice things about her. I mean, they 
originally bought her for you know sixty five hundred dollars, and uh, I feel sorry sorry for the Marlins man who lost her via claim. <laughs> I mean that would that would drive me over the edge, <laughs> but um, you know I, I I mean she's she's fantastic. I mean she, she really is, and and she she got a little weight break because of being the mayor. Uh, there, there, there's no reason not to like her. I just thought March to the Arch was the now horse. I, I love the the horses that seem to be like in super sharp form, and I thought this this was the horse. And I, I thought the fact that Cassie was even running him, mm-hmm. like if you're running War of Will, and you think War of Will's like all world and can't get beat, why would you waste a race with March to Arch to run second? You know, I mean, I know the purse was big and all that, but I mean, I thought that was a vote of confidence from Cassie for March to the Arch. Do you have a certain feel like obviously we talked about the other Cassie over in New York. You always hear the other Chad Brown. Uh, A lot of people, I just don't think, listen to logic and they're like, okay, Chad's got three in this race. Obviously owns every good turf horse in the world, but. Cassie doesn't, and to see a horse like War of Will, who is the morning line favorite, and then he does put the horse in the rail in as well, it, it's not so much it's, oh, it's the other Cassie, it's why is there two, and like you had just said that, why do you think people don't think about that more, and they get so surprised when the other one does win? Well, I think for some reason, people like the safety of betting the public choice, I mean, you know, they they win a third of the time, and mm-hmm. people get they, they get they become fans of a particular horse. I I have a friend who loves War of Will. She she loves his looks. She loves the way he runs. So there's just something about the horse that she really likes, and you know, there, there's no talking her out of War of Will. I mean, if he's running, <laughs> that's who she likes, you know. Yeah, and I think she's not alone in this. I mean. It, it, and a lot of people are like that. They they know the name. They feel comfortable. It's it's Mark Cassie. It's War Will. You know. So I, I mean that that there's something to be said for that. I mean it's one of the things that makes horse racing run. You know. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think from a handicapping standpoint, if if a trainer's running two, the other horse is in there for a reason. I mean, unless you know, it could be a, it could be a rabbit or whatever but a lot of times it's because the horse is doing really good I mean, one thing i always tell people about um you know uh trainers is the last horse they tell you about after the interview is the one that always wins you know that you'll do a an hour interview with a trainer and then you're walking away and he'll say well don't forget to bet on so-and-so or people are ignoring so-and-so in, in this race and 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 that's the horse that always wins it's it's because after after it's all been talked out the trainer realizes you know what my other horse has a really good chance yeah. you know and they, they, they they've kind of they've kind of been into the hype themselves because you're interviewing them because they're running the favorite or whatever and and i've had so many good pick threes and pick fours with with horses like that the trainers have told me at the last minute, um, Anthony Stabile and I were doing a, uh, interview with Bill Mott before the Kentucky Derby last year. And he said, you know, people are ignoring country house mm-hmm. and we got off the air and Anthony says to me, <laughs> did he just tell us to bet on country house? And I said, yeah, I think he kind of did. And I did, I, I don't know if Anthony did or not, but I, I bet on him and made some money that day, you know, uh, uh, just uh, out of sheer luck, basically. Um, and I wrote about it in in my sheet that that you know uh, Mott said you know don't 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 ignore him. And um, so those things happen, you know. And and I I just felt like hey, Cassie's running this horse, and if if he thinks he's good enough, then I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him. So. It's funny not to go into a tangent, but uh, I, I still have been playing for you know five ten years. Still haven't hit a Derby winner. I had uh, maximum security last year. Obviously gets DQ'd. I'm livid. This year the uh, the fiance decides to bet the Derby. Loves authentic. So now for the next until the next Derby, all I have to hear is the word authentic out of her mouth every time I want her to play the horses. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been one of those couple yeah, of weeks. Well, 
it's tough at the top, you know. You, you got to <laughs> deal with all that. So. Uh, what did you do from a wagering perspective? Obviously, loving Marsh the Art. Did you back it up with Starship Jubilee and an Exact or anything like that? I did not. I I just bet on March March to the Arts. Uh, my my usual uh, one unit to win, two units to place, and that was that was uh, all I did. Let's see who wins the Rico Woodbine Mile. Jude is on March the Arch. I was on Starship Jubilee. Let's see who wins right now. Away they race. And a very nice break for War of Will. Got out well. So too is Admiralty Pier and Value Propositions on the lead. They share it. Value Proposition. Admiralty Pier by a length. War of Will drops in for the third spot. Now coming through are both Starship Jubilee and Shell Spite on the inside settling in third. Behind that main bunch is on the rails Armistice Day and two away Olympic runner. And March to the Arch is last. The tempo is not overly keen. Admiralty Pier by a length value proposition. Shell Spike glides along the hedge. A length away came War of Will. In the centre is the Mayor, Starship Jubilee. On the inside, Armistice Day and two and a half to march to the arch. And Olympic run of the outside. About six lengths covers them. A little bit more now. And going out in front, Admiralty Pier for Steve Bayon by two to value proposition. A bit rank into the turn. On the inside, Shell Spites had the run of the race. A length behind them is War of Will on the outside. Improving now, Starship Jubilee the centre. And back on the rails, Armistice Day from Olympic runner. March to the arch at the back in the centre. They come inside the three eights. Admiralty Pier out in front by a length of value proposition. Off the track, War of Will. Shell Spite on the inside. In the centre, Starship Jubilee. And as they come down the lane, Olympic runner is wider and racing out in front. Going to the front, War of Will with Admiralty Pier. They share it from Starship Jubilee. Olympic runner down the outside and march to the arch, getting home between horses. But Starship Jubilee is run to the front. And Starship Jubilee out in front of War of Will. March to the arch into second spot. But Starship Jubilee has gone on to defeat the boys in the Rico Woodbine Mile. Starship Jubilee from March to the Arch. War of Will was third, Olympic runner fourth. And Starship Jubilee does get it done, paying 1350 buyer. Just an amazing, amazing mare to watch, Ron. Yeah, she's pretty cool, and uh, congratulations on the price. That was, uh, oh, that was another bonus price. That was, that was a big number for her, I thought. It's it's interesting when you look at the race overall as well. Just something I noticed from looking at the result chart, which I feel something that a lot of people don't do either, is even big-time horses like Armistice Day and Olympic Runner, who didn't hit the board, they still bumped up their points a little bit. Olympic Runner went from a 94 to a 99, Armistice Day from 86 to 97. This is why not just focusing on the results in the top three horses you can find some horses that, oh, maybe this was a sneaky improve race, and when they drop down to the grade three or grade two, it looks like the right fit just because they're dropping, but also because they did improve very well in a grade one race. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's absolutely true, and, and it's good to go back over the races when you're done. That's why your program's so great. You know, it, it's not just, you know, picking the horses and figuring out if you made money or lost and then, going home you know there, there's more work to be done it's not it's not over till you you've done the done the follow-up for me watching the race watching admiralty pier uh i think it was on the nbc coverage matt bernier they asked him to pick the uh the half mile time he said anything under 47 it's going to be admiralty pier is going to burn out and i saw it was 46 and one or something like that and i said well this is going to set up good for march the arts and starship jubilee were you happy with where he was positioned or did you wish he was a little bit closer like starship um you know he doesn't have a lot of early speed mm-hmm. if you could knock him on anything i mean that, that's probably why he, he's not a total win machine i mean he does his fair share of winning but you know the the lack of speed always hurts a horse i think um even in grass racing you you, you got to be in contention and um, so I, I wasn't, I wasn't terribly thrilled, but I wasn't surprised either. Uh, when they got to the top of the stretch, I said, well, this is going to be anyone's race, including war of will who ended up finishing third in this race. I think that mean you had the right idea, definitely a vulnerable favorite, but showed that he can hang with the best and just got beat by, I think what would have been two better horses on the day as well. Yeah, that, that's true. I thought, I thought it might be his best turf race to date so maybe he's you know learning the surface a little bit himself and and, uh trying to figure it all out 
I think it's always interesting when you look at even the like for Starship Jewelry coming out of the Diana, Rushing Fall and Sister Charlie, and then you see who War of Will ended up beating in the Maker's Mile, and it was Parlor and Raging Bull. Raging Bull's no slouch. Parlor is on meh for me, I guess would be the right word. Uh, I think you're right. I think he is trying to get better on the surface, and maybe I don't think he's ever going to be like that super good, solid grade one like uh, Sister Charlie or um, the Chad Brown horse that's going out of my head that won the Eclipse last year. Uh, bricks and mortar, but just I think he's going to be a fun horse to watch down the line, and I love it when horses can win on both surfaces as well. Yeah, no, he's he's versatile. He, he's a beautiful horse. He's obviously got ability, and, and he's still relatively young. I mean, he should start coming into his best next year um, if, if he races that long, and I'm assuming that they're going to keep him in training because I know Gary Barber likes to run. So That's always nice when you have the owners that love to run. That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank my special guest, Jude Fell. Jude, where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm on Twitter at Racehorse Report. Um, that's uh, the best place to get a hold of me. Go check out Jude's stuff. Uh, I know you also work for HRN. I don't know what you're doing right now for them, but if you're doing anything, care to tell us about it? Yeah, I, I did uh, the Kentucky Derby lead-in shows with uh, Bobby Newman the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday before Derby. They're always fun. I love doing those shows. I don't know what's on tap for Breeders' Cup. We kind of have to figure that all out with the new rules and regulations. So uh, I probably will be doing something during Breeders' Cup, but I'm not sure what yet. Check him out. Hopefully we'll see him on the Breeders' Cup programming for HRN. Thank you so much, Jude, for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. For sure. A big thank you again to all the fans of the In the Money family. And a special thanks again to my special guest, Jude Feld. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. <laughs>